0: This is the Speaker for the Living podcast, exploring the depths of human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Seth Dare. I'm here with JJ Jenflone. Hello, JJ.
1: Hello, Seth and world. Who's listening to us? I guess it's not just me and Seth talking and to avoid. I hope so.
0: So it's been An interesting week. There was a terrorist attack in New York City. Uh, Robert Mueller indicted Paul Manafort and Gates, and then we got to read a statement from Papadopoulos, which uh, anytime you can read a long Greek name, it's really cool. Uh-huh. But uh, we're not going to talk about any of that. Nope. We're going to go back a few weeks to something that we wanted to talk about when. The fires were at their height in California mm-hmm. you know where the fires are at right now I imagine they're still burning some
1: there yeah I was gonna say from what I have the like the the worst of it from what I understand has has died out I think there's one or two pockets um, but according to Mother Jones the the major the biggest issue um the fires were located in northern california Mm -hmm. um but the major issue now that's happening is um ash um so toxic ash because normally when northern california just california in general normally when we have these giant fires it's predominantly rural areas or sort of like suburban areas that burn but in this case we actually had cities full cities go down so what we have then is sort of the mix of think about you know if gas stations catch on fire chemical plants um factories huge instead of you know single family homes apartment complexes and things like that and so that's going to be an ongoing issue on the cleanup end of things um which i'll i'll talk about sort of maybe towards the tail end of the podcast about how we're talking about fighting fire, we're not just talking about the actual when something is in flames, we're also talking about the cleanup process.
0: uh, Losses have topped an estimated $3 billion with over 14,000 homes destroyed or damaged. We are going to focus on the uh, conservation fire camps, which are camps of firefighters run by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation because that uh, made the news in several articles. We previously talked about prison and correctional labor on our second podcast a year ago. We've now been going for a year. Thanks for listening. But uh, we're going to revisit this topic and focus on a specific type of prison labor. And uh, if you want the big context, go to episode two. Mm -hmm. And uh, hear what we have to say there. So the reason this is in the news partially is because you have a lot of people fighting fires who are in prison, and this is an alternate program, and they're paid between a dollar and two dollars an hour, and so that's kind of the context. And so there's questions about exploitation, and one representative or one uh, candidate has questioned whether this is slave labor. So we'll get into that Uh, first. I'll give a little history. So, the camps, which were called road camps, were originally established in 1915. And then they went through a change in World War II and helped to augment the firefighting forces in California. There were 41 interim camps then. And now there are 43 camps for adult offenders, one camp for juvenile offenders, and three of the camps also house female firefighters. And uh, the, their budget is $2.35 million per camp. They make about 35 to 40 percent, I think it's about 35 percent of all firefighters in California. And the camps are spread across the state in 29 counties. They can house up to 4,500 adult inmates and 80 juveniles and up to 219 firefighting crews. They provide approximately 3 million person hours responding to fires and other emergencies, and the amount that they save taxpayers is between 80 and 100 million. I've seen all sorts of numbers. They don't just fight ongoing fires, they also clear fire breaks, they restore structures, maintain parks, they've helped with car wrecks and other things that people use them for. It's uh it's also an alternate type of prison that people apply for. They have to be nonviolent criminals and they have to pass background checks. So of a limited set of choices of minimum security inmates, they choose to be assigned in these camps.
1: Mhm. And I think we've, I mean, again, this is kind of encroaching on episode two territory. But what does it actually mean to to choose to enter into one of these camps as opposed to entering into another one? What, what is the benefit? Why would people sign up to be in a camp like this?
0: Well, you get to see the great outdoors. <laughs>
1: I mean, I guess, I mean, that is something if you've been incarcerated. I'd Like, freedom of movement is, it's not, it's, you know, that's actually a big thing that I hadn't thought of. Just actual movement.
0: Yeah, that that was actually cited by a prisoner who Mm was actually being able to get out and see the landscapes. It's uh, this one guy, uh, Deshaun Hurd, 33 older inmate. It's better than sitting in the prison yard. I like getting in there and helping people. So for some, they actually get to... Do something that they see as more meaningful. It uh, also looks like, based on a few comments, that you might feel le- less like a standard prison situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would look at it and say, there's, they're part, they're go- they do have a goal of rehabilitation, and they say it's even uh, looking at uh, what uh, Pine Grove Youth Conservation Camp, which is the youth camp, mm-hmm. like like there there are people. Like some of the uh, guards and so on who work there have been affected and have their perspective changed in a positive way by working in this environment. So compared to a standard prison, it looks like a more desirable environment that's less like a prison where there's the outdoors, where you get to work with teams and you get to do something that's a little more impactful and uh, growing. And so those are all positives. And, you know, before launching into any, you know, criticisms of the model, like, I'm a believer both in rehabilitation and restorative justice. I find our current system not very restorative, that people learn skills, but they don't necessarily apply to the real world. Or if, even if they do, then people often have black marks on their records, which then makes it hard to get employment, those are problems for the system. And we talk about some of those in episode two.
1: There's also too the fact that because prison labor is so much less expensive than um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: say, quote unquote, free labor, that if you are trying then to get a job, let's say, because you have a record or you're on parole when you're released from prison and you have to stay within the area of the prison, that all of the jobs that you were trained for to do while you were incarcerated might be jobs that just go to, incarcerated individuals because we've had we've had that actually be referenced i believe we talk about it if not directly then we at least reference an article that discusses it in season two uh inmates used in furniture construction had a hard time um finding work in furniture construction because all of the jobs were actually going to inmates um incarcerated who could do it for less money
0: yeah so so the fact that this is a little bit more of what I would perceive as an experiential learning environment, that you can have people that can work together. I like those things, and I'm going to recognize those as positives and say that they look like they're a good aspects of the program and that there are certain people who appreciate that who've worked in these programs. Now, this being minimum security is not going to be long-term workers, prisoners. So, so those are... Some positive effects. So one person who has criticized the program recently is Gail McLaughlin, and she is running for lieutenant governor in 2018. She said that using prisoners as firefighters amounts to slave labor and that it's an example of a criminal justice system gone deeply wrong. More quotes. I want inmates in California to learn new skills, but trading a cell for a wildfire and a dollar a day, that's just crazy. We have to pay everyone real wages and restore the civil rights of people who are serving a sentence. Now, participants actually, they, they make $2 per day in the program, and when they're on the fire line, they make between $1 and $2 an hour. You make less. I looked at articles and they're all fluctuating between a dollar and two dollars an hour. So unfortunately, journalists couldn't get that specified. But still, you get the idea. It's notable that based on one of the articles, a standard prison work rate is between eight and 37 cents per hour, which sounds insane, (laughs) but it's, it's a lot more than normal prisons. Okay, well, Bill Sessa is a spokesman for the corrections department, and he said a lot of things because he's a spokesman. So he said in response to it, On occasion, you have a fringe candidate for elective office who thinks it's a great soundbite to stick in a headline, but if you look at it from the inmate's perspective, it's difficult to call them enslaved when they're volunteering to do the job. And he says also, Every inmate working in a fire camp raised their hand and volunteered to do it if and then if they're raising their hand and volunteering to do it and getting 76,000 a year in benefits before they ever go to camp then this whole argument about enslavement makes no sense that somebody would consider prison a benefit is uh gosh what's the word insulting abhorrent
1: <sighs> i i think it's 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 definitely insulting i think fits or or at the very least kind of um what's insulting to I think kind of us and them.
0: Yeah. Now, yes, prisoners do cost the state money. Now there's so many issues that then relate to housing prisoners. The costs involved, why it costs that much, should they be in prison? Is there a better system? Like I I look at our overall penal system and think we should make major changes to the system, have less people in prison, etc. So I find the the idea that we need people to pay for their jailing Uh a little bit disingenuous when what we really need to do is change the entire system and have less people in prison and have less prisons. There has to be a better way.
1: I think, too, even if you're, you're a fan of sort of the penal system or if you're a fan sort of of um, the type of justice that we have in the U.S., I think everyone kind of admits that the current prison system doesn't work the way, the way it is.
0: Yeah. Now, having said the, all that, it's a system we have, and it has variations throughout the country. And, you know, so we have this $76,000 a year cost. So, volunteering. What's problematic about that?
1: Is it truly volunteering? I think is the first question.
0: I mean, what popular libertarian point of view is the state is coercion. I'm not using that term in the same way that I would for trafficking coercion. Mm-hmm. That is a legal definition there. But if you're a prisoner, you're in a coercive environment with a limited set of choices. Calling it volunteering when I think we've discussed like there are some prison systems where you have to work, correct?
1: Correct. So and we've we've discussed that. There are certain prison systems where you have to work either to in order to get um, benefits and like benefits that can be things like access to better food, access um, – <laughs> to better living conditions, or things like phone calls, things like that. Um, There are some prisons where you are forced to work as a way to pay reparations for your crime or to offset the cost of your stay, shall we say. And then there are other prisons where working is a requirement as part of getting accepted for parole. So while it's not strictly forced-forced, it's something that almost every inmate will engage in in order to lessen their sentence. But so we've certainly seen prisons where inmates are forced to work. And legally, they're allowed. Under U.S. law, you are allowed to be forced to work if you are incarcerated. It's a little loophole we have.
0: So uh, looking at some of the quotes, and these are from firefighters. And anyone giving a quote as a firefighter, if it's positive, I can honestly wonder whether it's being honest. Mm Mm-hmm but I'm gonna assume they are for now. So we have this one guy, Thomas Roll, who said, we get to go out on top of the mountains and the views are insanely beautiful. We work hard, no doubt, but if you have to pay back your debt to society, this is a good way to do it. Another one, Joshua Coover said, the best feeling is when we get off the fire, all the signs you see that say, thank you firefighters, they even refer to us as the angels in orange. But then there is also Lasagna Edwards, who said, the pay is ridiculous. There are some days we are worn down to the core, and this isn't that different from slave conditions. We need to get paid more for what we do. So that the prisoners themselves, based on what they've told some reporters, is mixed, but it's not wholly negative. But is it exploitive?
1: Well, how much do they get paid,
0: (laughs) They get paid $2 per day flat and then when they're on a fire line they make between 1 and 2 dollars an hour.
1: Yeah, but certainly not good union wages.
0: Not good union wages. Mm-hmm. And that that applies to the youth as well. Although in that case the lead makes 2 dollars a day, his number 2 makes a dollar 50 a day and everyone else makes a minimum of a dollar a day. And looking on their website for the conservation camps, they had a post about the Pine Grove Youth Conservation Camp. And they gave a schedule for that camp, which may not apply to all of them, but it gives you an idea of, you know, they have shifts that consist of 24 hours on, 24 hours off. There are four fire crews. Crews head to breakfast at 7.15 are done by 7.45. There is school offered 5.30 to 10, lights out at 10.15, and then they get up at 6.45. So there's a few of the details of just what that looks like. But yeah, it's it's low labor, and I mentioned how much that it saves the state early. And one of the criticisms I have about prison labor, part of it's economic, it is distorting. It distorts the economy, period. Instead of giving people jobs at market rate, and the rate is like seventeen seventy an hour, according to one report so instead of paying somebody seventeen seventy an hour you 're paying them at most two dollars an hour uh-huh. so if you're making seventeen an hour that 's a job that would help you support a family. And instead, it's saving the state money, although we don't know how all the pay works, so we haven't looked at all these organizations to see what everyone's paid, whether there's any profit allocated or anything like that. So since I don't know one way or the other, but it is an unknown, and that's a factor in some forms of prison labor, where there is clear profit, whereas at the very least here, it's going to payroll. Beyond that, we don't have information.
1: I also, too, so what happens if, say, someone who is an inmate who is on one of these volunteer squads, what happens if they get injured? Because this is a very real thing. We're getting reports of firefighters, whether they're incarcerated volunteers or not, at getting ill or being injured.
0: Well, there were two firefighters, Frank Anaya, age 22, and Matthew Beck, age 26, who died earlier this year. But uh, as Bill Sessa says, when you consider the decades this has been in place, the safety record has been outstanding. Part of what this highlights is, and part of why I'm more bothered by this circumstance, and and again, realizing that this might be a better arrangement for some prisoners and their choice and agency than some other choices. But this has a danger that is different than some forms of work. I mean, just looking at what they do, like if you're working around trees, trees can fall. Mm Mm-hmm. One of these guys was related to a chainsaw and working around fire. People can die in fires. And smoke inhalation is also quite dangerous. Now, they do receive a lot of training, but all that aside, like this is actual dangerous work. And their hazard pay is getting paid up to $2 an hour. I haven't seen any reports of long term effects if any but mm-hmm.
1: well and now especially too if we're dealing with cleanup where we might have in this case we had toxins that were burning actively and now toxic cash that may change a little bit
0: now another thing that's related to this that is interesting and a little disturbing is that when they're talking about early release and just their policies this program factors in to how they do that, like they—they're like we need to have enough laborers for our prison camps. So then you're aligning your prison policy to supply labor to your labor camps, mm-hmm. your prison labor camps, just because they are nicer than average and there's more rehabilitation than average. They are still prison camps. Now they do get to go various places and work. But then they're very nice chain gangs without the chains.
1: And just because it looks better or it sounds better doesn't mean it is better.
0: I mean, one of the big things I would see with any of these types of arrangements is I have a big problem with not paying people market rate. Pay the market rate and then figure out ways to pay rent or something. Like do something that's not distorting the economy. And don't say, well, we get to save... Like, you're using prisoners to save tax dollars. And you want to make sure you have a funnel of prisoners so that you can save tax dollars. And occasionally someone dies. It's been, like, five people.
1: But it counts.
0: Saying it's dangerous, well, people die. <laughs> it's dangerous.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that, like, even, even if we didn't have reports of people who have been injured to that to that degree... It's firefighting. This is like, that's a, it's a, it's a serious, dangerous, it's known to be a dangerous job. Most, like most first responder jobs, it's known for being dangerous.
0: Ellen Sessa also makes clear, this is not a vocational program. It is not designed to teach inmates how to be full-time firefighters, but they learn many life skills that they will say help them succeed in life when they leave prison. Leadership, discipline, teamwork, responsibility. Well, that's great. And they're doing that by getting paid virtually nothing
1: uh-huh, well, I think too, what this may be kind of going back to to what you had mentioned before is that when we've had and by we i mean the u s we've had a long history of prison labor being used for a variety of things, particularly in California, um, in particular, what i'm thinking of is during World War II, California used. Its prisons for military factories um, and use them for forestry camps called the Civilian Conservation Corps. Use them, sorry, the Civilian Conservation Corps, uh, and use them for road building, uh, repairing infrastructure, and for harvesting crops of, on farms where soldiers had been deployed. Then, when Camp Rainbow was opened in 1946, you start seeing the fire lines. And that's then continued since then, and has been perpetuate since then so when you when we see though that there's been this long long history of people who were at first not paid at all, then paid a few cents on the dollar and now paid a dollar to two dollars for actively fighting
0: fires it's this is in no way new now. Relating to other episodes, like our psychological coercion one, if this is actually a better environment and there is a degree of responsibility, teamwork, and pride from working in the crew and stuff, and it's not dehumanizing in the way that some other prison environments are, Mm -hmm. that's great, and that makes it less slave-like because that's a key part of forms of slavery is dehumanization. Like looking at all this, I I come away feeling more positive about it than I did before researching it, but I still have problems with the entire setup. And again, it comes down to wages from people who they can't negotiate for their wage. They have a limited set of choices of which this is more attractive because of the, the low pay that's higher than everything else. So on October 13th, Sussad said that there were 1,700 inmates or about 16 crews on a fire line somewhere, and that's including fighting fires and providing fire protection and such. Uh, There were 235 people assigned to Canyon Fire 2 in Anaheim Hills, and there were 300 assigned to spots in Sonoma, Salona, and Napa counties, just to give you an idea. And... You know, I thank them for their service, and I thank the normal firefighters for their service and for everybody that, that was helping out. But when we're saving money or we're profiting on low-wage labor, and, and at a time while we're complaining about the lack of jobs, it's hard for that to make sense.
1: Well, just the fact that you have to designate between a normal firefighter and a non-normal firefighter, I think actually says it.
0: I mean, is it slavery... So it certainly fits indentured servitude for a period of time.
1: It hits indentured servitude. It hits exploitation. Um, can you, this is, I think, kind of an important thing that pushes into whether or not it's it counts as as that, can you, once you join the program at any point, back out or say no? Can you say, you know what, no, I'm not going to go fight this fire. Take me back to jail?
0: Don't know. I mean, if people are not feeling 100%, their uh, doctors might not let them on the crew. There are evaluations. I I would be shocked if they had complete latitude in making those decisions. So we don't have that information, but I would say it's doubtful.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's kind of the the situation. Um, That if you don't have the option to say yes or no, then, because what do we always say, is that the minute choice is removed. The minute choice is removed, you've... You've probably entered into, at the very least, an exploitative labor situation. But I would say, probably, trafficking makes sense.
0: One can choose to be trafficked, in case you all didn't know that. You might regret it afterwards, or you might. Uh, I mean, there are people who stay in a situation in order to help other people be less bad off, there are people who inadvertently get into a situation without really fully knowing what it's about.
1: And I think we talked about this pretty well, too, in our psychological coercion conversation that we did here, which details, too, like, why people might stay. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes... It makes sense. Why... Either because of things happening or because the situation that they're getting sent back is dangerous, I can see why they would stay. Or if the alternative is going back to jail for a long time.
0: But... And apologies to somebody on Facebook who said that they're volunteers and also to Bill Sessa. No, they are not volunteers. Choosing between A and B and deciding that A is a better choice does not make you a volunteer.
1: Exactly. And we've talked about this, too, and we talk, again, in episode two where we talk about um, people in the agricultural sector – who are being used as slave labor in the agricultural sector, but, like, getting getting sick from, like, heat or from lack of access to good to good food and things of that nature.
0: Yeah, and, California doesn't have any problems in the, that regard. No. That's sarcasm, by the way.
1: Yeah. I was going to say I thought that was pretty clear, but I'm glad that you pointed it out.
0: A lot of low-wage agricultural labor and not always treated very well in California. Mm-hmm. California also a very large state with a very large population. Fact that it's has a more liberal government. I really don't care. I I like to criticize liberals and conservatives and libertarians and anarchists and anyone else really. That that that's just me.
1: Yeah, but so I think what we're seeing here is definitely a continuation of what I what I would define personally as trafficking.
0: Let's see. Well, I mean the definition. I mean it's exploitive. Even if they're treated well, it's still exploitive. And then force, fraud, or coercion. One of the things that Vilcesa says, we will only treat you like an inmate if you make us do it. That happens very rarely. Mm-hmm. But the threat of force is always there, and you have the right to use force, and they know it.
1: Yeah, what What are you going to do? How How do you fight against your employer when your employer has the right to kind of put you in solitary confinement.
0: Well, when we talk about volunteering too, there's plenty of people who apply to be a worker in another country, such as a domestic worker. They're choosing. It is voluntary. And then they they meet the employer, and they, they know that they're going to work for them, and they go to work for them. And then they realize it's an exploitive environment. Now, those are a different type of exploitation than this. But... Again, the choice, and then once you're in a situation knowing that they have a lot of leverage and can use the use of force on you, those are some similarities between what has become a standard trafficking situation and what is a form of state trafficking. And just because you get paid does not mean it's not trafficking.
1: Yeah. And so maybe as we kind of draw to a close, one of the things that I want to caution against is – following the Fukushima nuclear disaster in Japan reports came out that have later been verified where we're linking you to is a homeless man and woman were reporting that they were recruited to volunteer to go to, uh, Fukushima to clean up and work on, um, hoping to sterilize and clean the radioactive soil and debris, uh, getting paid less than minimum wage. Uh, These men were not, and women, some women were also picked up. So these homeless that were recruited were not necessarily told that they would be living in the contaminated area as well, um, that they would be paid vastly under Japan's ministry of, um, like vastly underpaid, by what um, Japanese ministry has set as the minimum wage and that they were at risk of getting very, very ill from working on these (laughs) decontamination sites. The workers make roughly $6 an hour. Um, But some even report that they end up in debt bondage where because they're charged fees for food and housing, they end up owing money to the companies that work for them. But now, what we're seeing is years past, now, you know, a, a roughly eight or nine years that have, have passed since the first worker showed up, that people are getting sick. People had on the job injury, people are getting ill, um, people who weren't told about some of the chemicals they were even using in decontamination, what it would do to them. So I just, I, I'm very worried that now that we're dealing with toxic ash we're going to continue we're going to see people like this continue to get recruited or continue to us to like quote unquote volunteer and who are going to suffer very severe consequences because of it yeah and, and that to me basically too, what, what makes my kind of like just little suspicious ears perk up is that anytime something is happening where people don't have the option to leave or people don't have the option to quit, and the people who are doing the hiring or who are profiting from the hiring are very like unhappy about it being publicized, <laughs> that makes me very suspicious. Because if this is such a good program, why aren't you s- screaming it from the rooftops?
0: It's a kinder, gentler indentured servitude, but still indentured servitude. Indentured
1: servitude, yeah.
0: Now we're not making policy recommendations other than the system as it is is not okay. The, you know, it might be a better choice for some prisoners, and that's great, but the system as it is is not okay.
1: hmm Yeah, and I'm concerned that instead of, of repairing it, we have just sort of perpetuated things that we had in place in World War II. We've just kept rolling with them. And in fact, have expanded upon those programs because they're still profitable or convenient for the state. And that makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, and as I told somebody else, if somebody is in prison and is working in the laundry or in the kitchen, I I can see that. But when you're in some fashion using it to cut cost of of normal labor... Or profit because you're not using normal labor that's where you're walking the line of trafficking mm-hmm. so that's about that anything else
1: that's i mean i would say that that's that's my main my main complaint and i would just be as we see a sort of um that seems to be the case there's sort of a rise of natural disasters and things like that at least that are affecting uh, the US and, and elsewhere I, I urge everyone to kind of keep an eye out on sort of the first responders who who is being used to keep people safe I think it's worth just keeping keeping an eye on that or being aware of that
0: alright well that is the firefighter episode bum ba bum but uh, we'll be back most likely next week once we decide what we're going to talk about. Yep. Right. Uh,
1: as, as always, if anybody has anything that they want to tell us, if you out there in the world, if anybody has stuff that they want us to uh, talk about, let us know.
0: All right. With that, we're goodbye. Out-y. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com